Hi, and uh, thank you for uh, taking the time to listen to another episode. Uh, today, uh, it's an episode that someone is actually interviewing me about real estate and the business of real estate, and maybe a little bit about the, you know the times we are uh, you know going through right now with the coronavirus. So today is actually not me talking as a as a conventional speaker or traditional speaking, uh, my speaking style, but actually being interviewed by someone else. I just thought it would be interesting and valuable because content, as always, is still there. Stay safe, stay healthy, and thank you for listening to another episode. Another episode of the Constant Real Estate Profits Podcast. I'm your host, Lawrence Constant. Today, I've got another special guest on the show. I've got Dan, Danny Bates Orr today. Danny, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing good. Hi, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. It was great to have you, Danny. And I'm Thank excited you. to have the folks learn more about you. Um, before, before you jump into it, I want to let you know a little bit more about you. Danny started investing in U.S. real estate at the age of 26 while living in Tel Aviv, Israel. He's, he's helped in guiding investors to purchase and sell over 4,500 residential units and 100 residential flips in multiple states. He's also an ex-special forces, and he believes education is the key, um, education and execution are keys for success. He's also a graduate and survivor of the 2008 market crash, and he's still here today to help folks meet their goals. Danny, again, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's good to talk to you. Good to see you. You know, and... Uh I'm glad we have uh, tools to connect, even during those uh, weird times. <laughs> oh, yeah, these are for sure weird times, Danny. Um, uh, and, and we're all adapting in some way, shape, or form. Uh, where, Danny, where are you based out of again? I am based out of Southern California, Orange County, uh, 20 minutes uh, away from uh, Disneyland, to, to, make, ah. to, to put uh, you know, an, icon, an iconic... Uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 location on the map. For sure, for sure. Danny, before, I w- I'd like to know, Danny, uh, how has real estate impacted your life? Uh, for me, it was, uh, you know, it's changed the course of my life. You know, I started uh, investing, like you said, in, when I was a young engineer, starting his career. Um, and I, you know, completely shifted my life into real estate primarily because I realized as a young engineer who's starting to work for the Israeli high tech and actually getting good salaries, I realized that uh, something is off with, with, with the method. You know, years later, I learned they call it the rat race. I didn't have a nickname for it. I didn't know there's a terminology for all of this. I just realized this, what we all know as a rat race, is something that I am not okay with. And very quickly, I, real, I, I understood that I don't know the solution or the formula to to get quick, you know, to get rich quick. I, uh, you know, I don't, I, I didn't know that, but I told myself if I don't know how to get rich quick, I might as well find a way to get rich slow. And through different, uh, te- you know, trial and tests and stocks and options and different things, I kind of trembled upon U.S. real estate while still being in Tel Aviv, and um, you know, it was completely. New to me, I always joke that it was 2002, uh, Z- uh, Zillow wasn't around, Facebook wasn't around, Google Maps wasn't, Google was a startup. 
right? So all the tools that we have today and we take for granted online and transparency weren't around at that much level. They, they were already, you know, it wasn't the, uh, you know, the, the uh, um, um, you know, uh, dark ages or something like this, but all those tools really came throughout the, throughout a lot of those tools, a lot of the changes came throughout, you know, the first uh, 10 years of the, the 2000. Um, so for me, it was a you know, different uh, environment, but I just told myself, Continuing with the rat race uh, is not okay. I don't know what the answer is, but the default I'm not okay with. And I started figuring out, finding my own uh, path, and that led me to U.S. real estate. And eventually, uh, my wife and I packed our, packed our bags after I did three little transactions and moved to the States and started doing this in 2004 full-time. So for me, you know, it's like, uh, you know, if I don't have real estate, I would have an identity crisis. This for me. Wow. Is so yeah. you, you mentioned you did three deals, then you moved to the state. So you, without all those tools, you invested in real estate from Israel? Yeah, I bought my first home. You know, I went to hear someone talk in lectures about, about it in Tel Aviv, and I liked it. It kind of re- resonated with me, with my risk tolerance, with, the, with everything that I was looking for. I was already kind of a year or two into my educational uh, path. So, you know, sorry, my economic and economical educational path or trying to do different things that didn't really work for me in terms of maybe the returns were there, but I was felt that I like options. The returns were there, but the risks were high and stock, same thing. And I didn't really appreciate that avenue. And that real estate did really, it was something that I, I could relate to personality wise. So I went and through, you know, and, and purchased remotely, you know, a, you know, a single family home, a rental in a little town nobody probably knows called Phoenix, Arizona. You probably never heard about this, you know, <laughs> little little hole. Only six million people call it home, mm-hmm. um, and that's that was my first one. And uh, you know, it wasn't a smooth sale, but it taught me a lot, um, and it kind of was an eye-opening for me experience. And then I did two little, you know, kind of transactions uh, in a syndication, like you, you talked about uh, that you're doing, and nothing, not nothing too <laughs> fancy. But that kind of got the role bowling in, in that aspect. Um, but the first one was sight unseen, no, you know, uh, uh, you know, map quest, photos, uh, facts, you know, facts came with the uh, description of the property, facts came with the, uh, you know, with the comps or anything like that. But, you know, it's all changed in terms of technology, but the essence, the gist, the, 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 the content was still there the same way, it just was delivered differently. Yeah, so that wow, was the okay. first one. And then you ended up moving to the United States, and that was focused strictly on real estate. So you could, t- could you talk about your initial experiences? Did you jump into syndication? Were you flipping? Help me understand. Paint a picture of what that looked like when you got to the US, United States. So when I got to the U.S., I started, uh, you know, uh, um, I wanted to do this full time. I wanted to be a professional because I knew if I'm going to be a professional in real estate, I'm going to be exposed to transactions. I'll be more knowledgeable. I'll be able to transact more and better. Uh, I, I didn't want to do it as a hobby on the side, which is nothing wrong with it, by the way. Actually, one of the things that I love about real estate in terms of rental properties, it's definitely something someone can do as a hobby, as a side, I call it a side business uh, or a side hustle, so to speak, and an easy one relatively, you know, it doesn't re- require uh, uh, much. So that's one of the things I do love about doing real estate, you don't have to quit your job like I did and, and start doing it full time. You can definitely do and buy multiple properties while, you know, holding on to your job. 
So I started doing this. I started, you know, both investing for myself and working with investors, helping them, you know, do, do the same. And it kind of sl- slowly grew, uh, uh, grew, and I, you know, continued to uh, to uh, um, uh, get more experience about it. And that was, uh, you know, I didn't do additional syndication. I was only focusing on maybe one or two, uh, but nothing against uh, very uh, minimal stuff, relatively, and. Um, and I was very much focused on rental properties, buying rental properties. I told myself, stick with it, you know, focus on that. No need to do other things, at least at that, at those years, uh, in real estate wise. So I was pretty much using the same formula, continuing to buy for myself and working with investors. And everything we did still is, was, was always remotely, never local. So I live in California. I've lived in California for 16 years, never owned in California, always owned in other parts of the country, like Florida, uh, you know, Georgia, and, and, and maybe 10 other states, uh, 10 other states or metros, uh, maybe 50, you know, 40 metros around the country that are either owned or operated or both. Right. And you had the experience from Israel, so I'm sure that gave you some confidence to, uh, to, to um, <clears throat> own in other areas. And can you talk about why you decided not to own in your own particular market? Absolutely. So first of all, when you come from Israel... And, and you want to invest in the U.S. and you move to the U.S. and you want to invest in another place in the U.S., it, it looks very easy relatively, right? Uh, the biggest, people think that the, the, the distance is the biggest challenge. Uh, for me, when you're a foreigner to this country, the biggest, cha- the biggest challenges are the gaps, cultural gaps. Uh, you know, I always tell my Israeli clients, you don't speak English, you speak American. And if you don't speak American, you will have hard time, or if your American language is not good, you will have you know hard time to adapt and to transact. Uh, but when you understand the mentality, the, the culture, the terminology, and all of those those gaps will narrow. Of course, you can't narrow the the time gap, but you can narrow the other gap slowly, and that will help you. Uh, when you live in the states and you understand those, all those gaps are narrowing. Time and culture and, and, you know, American language and all of those things are very much narrow. So it's much easier to transact and to be more, more successful. Unfortunately, or fortunately, um, you know, I, w- I always wanted to live in California. I actually uh, spent two years going to high school in, in Washington, D.C. And went back to Israel. But I never had a chance to come out to the West. So that was always the California dreaming classical. I had it too. I wanted to come down here. Uh, out here, which I did, but the California is expensive. California for real estate, it's either very, very expensive. I, I lived for 10 years in the Bay Area. The Bay Area is super expensive. Now Southern California is also not cheap. And even when you move to an area like where I live now, which is cheaper than the Bay Area, the San Francisco Bay Area, it's cheaper, but the rents are very low relatively to the price of the house. And that has been always the, the case. When you go to, you know, when you go to places like Nashville, Kansas City, Houston, Dallas, etc., those areas you can buy a very nice house for two hundred thousand dollars and rent it, yeah, maybe eighteen hundred dollars a month or so. And that arbitrage, that gap, is a significant gap for cash flow, uh, and that's what makes me want to go out there and buy in those areas is because this. You know, this ratio is much smaller. Um, you know, I, I always joke that the $200,000 cost of a house, you know, in, in Dallas is, the, is not even the down payment on your house in Silicon Valley. 
So that's as much of a, of, of a craziness. Um, and, and that's why I always, I was always attracted to those areas and markets around the country where the numbers make sense. And by the way, a $200,000 house in my world of real estate, it's actually a very nice, more towards the upper middle class area kind of a house. Sometimes we buy as little as 100000 and it's uh, it's still a very nice house in a nice community, good school. So we don't have to go even all the way to one hundred to 200000 Even in one hundred or one fifty, we can still get very nice houses in very nice areas, good schools. And the rent makes sense. So the whole point is the rent covers all the expenses and the mortgage. And then we get to keep few hundred, you know, 200 bucks a month or so in cash flow every month. And that's that's the big difference. You cannot do it on a, on a, you know in the in the California real estate. It just doesn't work. The numbers just don't work. Got it. And you mentioned that you've uh, been working with investors. I'd like to first kind of transition to um, talking about how you've been working with investors and some of the details and things you've learned along that along that pathway. Uh, first of all, why did you start working with investors, and 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 how did you start getting investors? So um, in, investors, as you know, uh, um, saw what we were doing. And they wanted to uh, to do the same. Most investors that you know I worked back then and today are people that have jobs and family and busy. A lot of them actually come from Silicon Valley. You know, I, had, I have clients who work for Google, for Facebook, for Netflix, for um, uh, Cisco, for and other companies. Not all of them are coming. Amazon and Microsoft, all of those companies and others. I don't remember all their names. But they're not all from those companies. Some just run a startup or run a small company or they're self-employed. You know, I have all those spectrum, but they all follow the same, the same pattern. They live in an expensive real estate market. They have a job that's usually very demanding with a family and they don't, and they lack the knowledge, the confidence, um, and the accessibility. Uh, or the simplicity to those different real estate markets. And the typical client comes to me and says, I'm interested, I understand the benefits of real estate, but I have zero knowledge about it or experience uh, or very minimal, or I've done a deal or two, but I'm still a little bit lost. I need some guidance. I need to kind of, someone help me to figure out where to go, you know, where to invest, what to buy, and very importantly, kind of show them the ropes and, and you know, and, and kind of uh, support them in the decision-making process. But also, who can I trust to work with locally? And that's what we do. I realize the need for that is, is, is something that um, people see the value in both the educational support aspect of it, but also the, the fact there's a team on the ground and we vet teams very carefully. So people come and say, okay, you have a vetted team. For me to vet a team, mainly property managers and agents, it will take... Who knows? Maybe two, three, four, five hours to do so. Maybe ten hours uh, for someone else. And while I do, for me, it takes longer than that. But when I do it, I know that I do it for you know a large audience, a large you know a large uh, crowd, and everybody will benefit from it. So it's well worth for me to spend those twenty, thirty, forty hours to vet teams, and then knowing that you know uh, uh, other people will follow, and I take a probably more deeper approach or more uh, uh, detailed or in-depth approach when vetting teams. Because I know what to ask well. I've, I've done mistakes. I know where to, where, where to look for the, what doesn't work and to understand when I'm talking to someone, is this person that I'm talking to full of crap or is this person knows what he's talking about? Or even if he knows what I'm talking about, can I really agree with his you know, processes and how he goes about it? Or am I have kind of concern about the way he goes about investing? And I've seen it all. 
So those things, you know, something that I was, I'm able to identify. And, you know, honestly, this is not perfect. It's not a perfect business. But the amount of effort and time and experience that goes into finding those people and training them and working with them. And then when the clients come on board and work with us, they also know that not only that we vet them carefully and we support them, we support our clients beyond the transaction. After they close on the uh, purchase the property, they know maybe two years passed and I have some, some small question or a big issue with the property manager. They call us up, we get involved, we get help. And guess what? When I call the property managers, typically we are the property manager's biggest account. So my client automatically inherits the, the VIP status and gets better fees. So they have a buying power. We have a buying power. The clients benefits from this. And when and to prove it, you know, my, my best example is when I call the property manager and with an issue, usually they answer the phone like this. It's either, yes, boss, what can I do for you? And I'm not their boss, right? But that's the mindset. Or, uh-oh, what have I done now, right? As a joke, but that's usually, he knows when I'm calling, I have something to resolve. And that's usually what happens with those uh, uh you know, with those uh, uh, service providers. You know, I can give you another example. In my in the past 10 years, I had to let one property management company go because lack their performance was poor. Not bad people, actually great people. We became very good friends and quality people and nothing shady was doing, going on. All okay, but the results were not, you know, were not working well for us. I told them there's a big disconnect between the, the home office and, you know, and the field. Because they were very much focusing on, on growth. And the day I called them and I said, you guys, I have to put you on freeze until I see what's going on. They, the answer was immediately like this. This is a very dark day for us. You are just, what you told us, you know, is this. We just lost our biggest growth engine. And we're going to do everything that we can to win you back. And it didn't happen still, although we're still in, you know, we, we are still in relationship. <clears throat> so that's just to, to, to prove the point that we spend time finding those service providers, different ones, and we want to bring that, that quality uh, vendors, different ones to our clients so they can benefit. And if we can do uh, uh, get discounts by buying power, we bring that to them as well. So it's a mix of education and execution, like, like you said in the, in the introduction. Right. And I'm sure we've got our, a, lot of our, a lot of our listeners are um, sponsors, folks who work with investors. And I'm sure some folks are thinking to themselves, how, how do you go out there and, and get your investors? Yeah, it's a very good question. I, uh, I'll be, I have to, uh, to share a, you know, a personality flaw. Um, when, I, uh, I, when I came out of the 2008 crash, um, I was exposed, you know, I had many properties. I, I you know, I, I was in the eye of the storm, my personally and with my investors. And when, and on the other end of that tunnel, I realized I completely need to change my, my business. So I actually, I always say in 2000 and late 2010, 2011, I actually started, wiped out everything and rebuild my business, you know, from scratch, clientele included. Um, and I told myself, you know, I spent a lot of time on processes and checklists and things on the, on the operational side. But when it came to clients, I told, the first thing I did is I acknowledged one thing, you know, that, you know, to myself, I am not a good salesperson. I don't think I'm a horrible or terrible one, but I don't think I'm a good salesperson. I'm not the guy who would pick up the phone and do cold calls. I am not the guy 
who will you know follow up in again and again and again. I knew that's not going to work for me. So I, I needed to figure out a different method. And what I did is I told myself, okay, I know one thing. When you are out there, I have experience. When I go out there and I speak and, you know, and talk and lecture, I immediately repositioned, you know, the, I call it the, the, the repositioning of the power position. Because when you're a speaker, and if you're a good one, and you're an honest one, and you're, uh, um, and you're not a sales, you know, sales pitch kind of a speaker, which I am not. I, I tried. It didn't, didn't work for me. Um, people relate to you. Not everybody in the room will, and that's okay. But people in the room see the, uh, the authenticity, the knowledge, the experience, uh, the fact that you're asking, you know, being asked questions and know to answer them. And also, I think, know to say, you know what? I don't know what the answer to this. You know, it's also uh, something that is okay. And people relate to it. And then they say, okay, I want to work with this guy. And that's what I did. I started doing events and lectures, um, webinars and, um, <clears throat> and, uh, and meetups in different places, and I would put in an email. And sometimes I had rooms of 10 people, and sometimes I had rooms of 200 people. You know, I've, it's, I've, I'd never figure out, the, you know, the formula there, but I've, I've, I've seen, or oh, more than 200. I've seen it all. So it's all, for me, it was always focused on finding rooms, virtual rooms or actual rooms to, to stand or sit and talk. And then, and then when people will see you, some people in the room, I always, I always look at the room like this. Some are tire kickers, always going to be tire kickers. That's fine. Some are just there to mingle and network. But some are in a position, they're trying to figure out their way how to go about investing. And that is the group I need to work, you know, to work with, to find. They need to find me and I need to expose myself to them. And that's what happens again and again. So that was the, the first few years. That was the major uh, um, effort. Uh, later, I would say in the past three years, what I've seen exploding in a way uh, on my end is two things. Of course, repeat business. So someone comes in and buys a second and a third and fourth. That, that always happened, but all of a sudden it happened more. And um, word of mouth. Um, you know, during 2019, uh, I think uh, mid-2018 to 2019, a year and a half, I almost didn't do any, a single talk, maybe one. Um, not online, not offline, not in the rooms, not in virtual rooms. Uh, I was just busy catching up with the referral, you know, that was coming to me from mostly from existing clients. Uh, and that's, 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 that's the best way, right? That's obviously the best way. But it took years to get to the point that the, the, the internal referral business is, uh, is, uh, is working. Um, and then always marketing. I always market. You, see, you call me up, say, Danny, uh, you know, I, I, I like what your message can we do a podcast? I mean, right? I tried to say, you know, my uh, my sister is a journalist, and she said, I never. She's a journalist in Israel, and and very successful one. And she also kind of built herself from from nowhere. She came out, you know, into the, the to be public eye in Israel in very few years. And she says one rule: I never miss an opportunity to speak in front of anything. And I just, you know, I do the same. But that clicked with me. You know, when someone said, hey, here's an opportunity for you to speak. Okay, podcast, fine. You know, uh, 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 you know, uh, some panel somewhere in Dallas that I was supposed to be before this old breaker. I did that. Panel in Nashville, I did that, right? So I'm looking for those opportunities gladly. And um, yeah, I think that the, what I got as a feedback many times is people tell me, you don't BS. 
Danny, you, you say what you think. You're not a sales, you know, sales pitch. We can see that you're, you're you know, your knowledge. We can see that you, your uh, um, education part, you know, as I, sometimes I wish I had a little bit more of a, of a better sales skills than I do. It's okay. You know, they're okay, but I wish sometimes I had better ones. Right. So essentially what you do is you position yourself as a person who can add value and educate folks and answer their questions. And from there on, it sounds like you're adding value first. And when you're adding that value, folks come back and reach out to you and potentially add value in one way or another or decide to be a client of yours. I think that's a great, great, great strategy. And can you talk about how you actually maintain the relationships once you once they you know join your sphere? Yeah, um, that's a very good question. I do a few things. Um, first thing I do is I listen. I learn and listen from my clients and your feedback. For example, one client, uh, maybe four or five years ago, called me when he closed on, on, on the first house, and he said, and he kind of called and said, you know, I don't even know if I, I know I signed the documents, but I don't even know if I closed or not. And what's going, and remember, everything is remotely. 85% of, of my clients buy sight unseen and will never see their houses, right? And he calls and says, you know what? I got to tell you something, Danny. Um, at least have the realtor call me when we close and say, you close and thank you. That's a minimum request, right? And I'm like, he got the point. So immediately I send an email to all the realtors. From now on, you have to call uh, you know, call and you know, at least try and say thank you. You know, and some did it already, but not you know, like uh, made sure. And some didn't remember. Everybody, all the the client, all the realtors are doing this. Uh, I and I took it the same my, the same advice. So, for example, every time someone calls, I call. I make a sense not to leave a message. I call and say, first of all, thank you. And I appreciate it. And then. Um, I want to I wanna use this opportunity for two things. I remind them something about the process. That's something that comes up uh, in the coming days or weeks. And I just make sure they are aware of it, just as a reminder. And then I also say, give me your feedback. What can I do better? How can I, do, how can I improve? And they usually do. If not on the spot, they, uh, they send me an email a few days later. So that's one thing that I do. Very simple, right? We also send a thank you note. You know, that's, that's very simple as well for every closing. Um, but then the, the, the other thing that I do um, is, it was actually two things. One, every six months I send a, a, to the owners, I send them a reminder, a checklist of things they should be considering or reviewing regarding the, the properties. I call it, I want to make sure my clients do not let their guard down. And there's a 16, 15 items checklist that I send every six months and it says, Check your insurance, check this, check this. You know, they may, they don't have to do everything, but I just remind them to kind of look into those things. So that's one thing that I routinely send twice a year. Um, every time there is a, a support call, I try to turn it around to an opportunity. I t it took me years to understand the, 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 the chance here, but every time there is a support call, I take... Uh, and I try to make it to see how I can turn it. I don't try to sell them on the call, but I'm like, okay, what's going on with you? Now that we took care of the problem, how's everything on your, it's working, not working, what's working? And usually just by me solving them the problem, you know, they immediately kind of get 
you know, uh, uh, appreciative and they'll say, okay, listen, uh, anyway, I wanted to talk to you in a few months, let's talk. So we do that too. And then proactively, I send messages to my clients, say, hey, it's been a while. Let's do uh, some sort of a portfolio check, health check. Let's see, let's reconnect. And uh, every once in a while, I, and that's how, I, you know, kind of make sure we keep, you know, we keep the, the, the connection. And of course, there's those who are proactively not waiting for me to reach out to them. They're reaching out saying, I'm ready for the next one. But that's coming from the client uh, and not from me. That, that's awesome. And I'm sure with this many clients um, that you're working with, uh, you're probably everything down. I'm sure you've got some systems and some tools in place. Can you talk about some tools that are some of your favorites to, to stay connected with your clients and follow up, etc.? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, one of the best tools that I have is actually not to stay connected, is actually to get someone on board. So I always, I always tell myself, when a client comes in, when a client comes in, it's not just them, you know, kind of investigating or checking me out. I'm checking that out, uh, you know, as well. I, I want to see their behavior. If they're responding, you know, if they're, how they're uh, conducting their, their, their self. So for me, I want to make sure I want to work with that person as well. It sounds like businesses will, all take, will always want business to come in. The answer is no. I see people that I, I, I every once in a while, see someone that I get a sense that this is not going to be a good fit. And I learned the hard way to, to say no to business. So the first thing I do is I have a, what I call an intake form. Intake form is something, something they have to fill before a meeting. And if they, see, about uh, three months ago, I had a guy who went to my lecture in, in, in Sunnyvale, in the San Francisco Bay Area. He um, was very hard to communicate and, and set up a time to, to speak. And then he told my assistant that he's at, he, he looked at the form and he doesn't feel comfortable to complete the form. Okay, that that's very, rarely happens. There's nothing too personal about it. No social security, no credit card, you know, nothing. Not your age, just general questions. Okay, very weird. You know, that's, I call it the first red flag. Second, with the, with the back and forth communication was the first, second one. Um, so I started this conversation with him when we finally got on the, on the call his line of questions and inquisiting me was very off what I'm used to. Uh, I've done probably close to 10,000 or more one-on-one conversation with investors over the years. So you get a, you get a feel. And he was very quickly uh, weird about the, ways, the, the, the way he communicated himself, the way he asked his questions. And I could go through the conversation and I told myself, not a good fit, not a good fit, not a good fit, right? And I wasn't clear cut, you know, uh, uh, decisive. But when the, the conversation was over, I told myself, wait, one little red flags, another red flags, another red flags. Okay, this guy's out. So we haven't even got to the point that he said he's interested. I never heard back from him. Maybe he got the same sense. But I know that when he comes back, if the answer would be not interested. Um, so it's very important, you know, for me to check the person I'm working with because I see it as a long-term relationship. Uh, so rarely do I say people, I tell people no. Rarely do I fire people as clients. That happened too. Um, beyond that, so this intake is very important tool for me because it, it helps me uh, filter the bad weed. It helps me uh, identify people that are not relevant to our system so I don't have to waste time over them. So that's intake, something that I've been using probably for 10 years. It's, a, it's an amazing tool, right? For me, it's, a, it's, it's one of the most stable pillar of my business. 
Uh, beyond that, you're on mute. All right. And is that called intake, intake.com or something that's similar? No, no, no. What is it? Something that I, it's, a, it's a form that I created. I call it intake. It's on our mm-hmm. website. It is not something that's something that, uh, you know, built in-house. It's a simple form, you know, with maybe 20 questions combined. Some of them are, you know, like an option. You, you choose an option. And some of them are, uh, are open questions. Not, not complicated. It takes mm-hmm. three minutes for someone to complete it. But that three minutes helps them become ready to the call because they have to start thinking about a few things. So they're, when they're coming to the call, they have some line of thoughts of those open questions. And for me, I read it before every... Sometimes people even ask me, did you read my intake? I said, of course I read your intake. Every mm-hmm. single one I read. Because you're, you're spending time to complete it and coming and meet with me, and I'm not going to look, look at it, of course. But it helps me too because when I read it, if someone is not a good fit in the intake, we have some few indicators that we can tell we're not going to set up a meeting someone is a good fit i know a little bit more about them i come a little bit more prepared they're coming a little more prepared conversation starts um in a in, in a better you know the starting point is already a little bit better than just you know beyond the small talk that you start building the relationship and we we flow in the conversation a little bit more easier so intake is is a great tool simple 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 tool right nothing fancy it's just a great tool um Beyond that, right. yeah, beyond that, you know, I have an Excel, analysis Excel that I created after the crash of, you know, that I call it the, it's a business plan for each property. We plug in the numbers, we analyze the property, something that it's uh, probably, I have personally probably did uh, 15,000 properties on that Excel. All the agents that I work with, that work with us use it. All the, all the investors that work with us use it. So it's the norm, it's the standard for us. Uh, so anybody who wants to work with us will adapt it uh, anyway because that's part of the, our, 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 um, our, um, our language. Uh, it's probably been used a hundred thousand times, you know, uh, by investors over the years because uh, every single property goes through that Excel. So that's something else. And we have quite a few checklists uh, that we created to make sure every client, you know, is on track on the right track with their process. Like what do you need to make sure that they start and they know. And so there's a lot of, I put an energy into systems and processes in order to, you know, um, simplify the, you know, the, the simplify it for everybody. And um, one of the best tools that I think also beyond the ticket, the, the intake, the other best tool that I've created, and that's something that I created probably um, seven or eight years ago, I saw that when someone beginner purchases their house for the first time, the expectation gap between the operation, the field, the property management, and the client, the owner, are huge. Are just the client is coming into this ordeal or this journey, expecting the owner, the, the property manager, to be him when him when when he's not there. So that's the mindset. Mm-hmm. So I always heard, but I thought the property manager is me when I'm not there. That's not, yes, it's yes and no. It's not, it's not untrue, but it's not complete. There's more to it. And I created what I call the owner crash course. And every client that worked with us gets it's a video and an Excel sheet with, again, me in the checklist and things that the client needs to know uh, before they're, you know, starting this journey of ownership. I give it to the experienced ones. I give it to the beginner one, the beginner ones. 
the day I created this video and shared it with, with our clients, the expectation gap and issues and friction that was between an owner and a property manager uh, uh, got reduced by 80%. 80%. And wow, that's fantastic. Just because I know when and you know what's the what's the funny thing when I created it and and, and kind of put it out there and and it takes some time you know it takes some probably a year to realize something is different it's not something you put on a Monday and by Thursday you know it's it's good I knew it's good but I didn't realize you know the effect and after probably about a year I kind of said okay something something is better here and I told myself Danny how is it possible. That you didn't put it out to your clientele earlier than than you know mm-hmm. than that, but that's fine. You know that's that's I always joke about those things. That it's the simple, sometimes it's simple, trivial stuff that make a huge difference. For me, it was a huge difference. It dropped the 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 support item and aspect by eighty percent by one. That's thing. huge. That's huge. That's huge. And Danny, you know we're running out of time, but I wanted to ask a question of you. One. Uh, if you had to change one thing in your business, um, and you could you could get that result by waving a magic wand, what would it be? Um, wow, it's a very good question. Um, yeah, um, I want to be able to, you know, with all the technology around us, transacting. Transacting A to Z from decision making to closing, it's still uh, a hustle. It's still a hurdle. Um, even if you know, even if you you know, making the decision is not easy. But that let you, even if we put that aside, the entire ordeal is still messy, relatively. And I wish there was a way I could simplify it, shorten it, make it easier, smoother. And I still, you know, it's it's a big task to. To, to take, but that for me still with all the technology around us, I'm just surprised that uh, it's still it's still like this. And, and Danny, there's, uh, is there anything that you're working on that you're excited about that you feel like our listeners should know about? Yeah, um, one thing that uh, I'm working on as we speak, um, actually two things. One is um, you know I I have a partner in Israel and we're doing a startup that it's actually. Wants you know aims to tackle exactly what I told you about with uh, uh, with tackling the simplifying the process. Uh, right now, it's mostly focus, focusing on the decision making uh, decision making uh, aspect of it. But it wants to. It's called Simp S I M P, and it wants to uh, and it wants to eventually you know streamline the process you know in a more efficient way. It's exactly uh, what I just mentioned. And those guys uh, reached out for me to, in, from Israel a year ago, and and when they start saying, we you know the decision is off and how people make decisions and all data and this and this, and I'm like, you guys, I'm so frustrated with the conversation. It's our first conversation, and you're hitting every single pain point that I have and frustration that I have accumulated over the years when it comes to real estate. So they uh, they um, um, uh, they, uh, that's something that we are working on. It's very difficult to, it's, it's deeply changing human behavior and, uh, the way people transact today. So that's a, that's a challenge. That's something that we're working on, working on as we speak. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. It sounds really exciting. And I'm, I'm sure folks, uh, based on all the knowledge that you dropped today and the values that you added are going to want to reach out to you. So what are some of the best ways to connect with you, Danny? 
Well, the easiest way, you know, if you, you know, my, my last name can be a little bit uh, difficult, but if you write my name, Danny, which I spell it D-A-N-I, and my web identity or my company, which is called Simply Do It, Simply Do It, and you just write Danny and Simply Do It, I'm on YouTube, I'm on Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, website, multiple websites, uh, uh, podcasts too. So it's very, very quickly it will lead you uh, to that. My my company is Simply Do It. It's, uh, my website is simplydoit.net. I'm on Facebook, of course, as well. So um, if you just type Danny, Simply Do It, you'll get uh, around to us. Uh, I can give my email, but... Uh, you know, it will be even easier just to do Danny and simply do it, and you'll find a way to, to, to find me. All right, Danny, thanks for coming on the show today. You dropped a lot of knowledge. We really appreciate the openness, um, and I look forward to connecting with you again. Um, and if anyone wants to connect with Danny, feel free to go to our website, www.constantequitypartners.com, where you catch the show notes and the ways to connect with Danny and, and a lot of the other tools that we have to help you become better investors. And thanks again, Danny, for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.